0: It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show With Brian, Christine, Clay, you know And guests who drop on by
1: Welcome to the Limbaugh, a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the people who've received it, the people who should receive it, and sometimes the people who shouldn't have received it. I'm Brian Tuft. I'm Christine Seer. And I'm Clay Russell. Oh yeah, and Clay is joining us fresh from Texas.
0: That's right. That's right. Just returned. So he's
2: got his twang back, and um... I got
0: that. I got that Matthew McConaughey lilt going on.
2: How was Texas, Clay? You know, was there some interesting stuff going on in that state? It was,
0: (laughs) there's always something interesting going on in Texas, but uh, it was a nice visit. I got to visit the parents. Shout out to Barbara and Steve. Hi, guys. Went to a golf tournament, went to a baseball game. It was, it was a real Texas visit. Had Mexican food, Mm. both on my first day and my last day in Texas. A couple
2: of frozen margs
0: couple of frozen margs that'll get you through the flight
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: clay i know you attended were you mad that you couldn't bring your gun to the nra conference
0: yes yes it was actually in houston this year instead of dallas so i didn't want to you know do the drive i did see that they had a big concert planned and every single artist dropped out so you've got that
1: I do, I feel the NRA convention should be like the American Girl doll store. Like, Hmm. you know, you bring your doll to lunch. Like, you should be able to bring your, like, assault rifle to, um... To the conference. To the conference. I would like, dress it up in a
2: little outfit.
1: Ooh, yes. (laughs) It's from, like, a
2: different period in American history.
1: (laughs) My AR-15 is from colonial times. Her name is Stacy. (laughs) Stacy.
2: I was, I was team Molly, as if that surprises anyone. I was a
0: Samantha. Don't know what that means. <laughs> did you, Brian, did you have an American Girl doll? For real?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. But um, okay. I grew up with enough uh, late 80s born girls that I, I knew a little bit about. Josephine and Samantha
2: and Molly. Okay. So right. uh, Clay Molly. Actually, Clay, you know who Molly is because you saw me, like, say goodbye to her when I realized she was covered in sewage water after oh, my house Oh, that's right. Cheated. She wasn't just
1: covered. Her body was hollow and she was filled with sewage. <laughs> with sewage. <He> <laughs> Which, you know, there are a lot of women
0: in the heartland that, that are, you know, look nice on the outside but are filled with sewage.
2: <laughs> She didn't survive World War II just to get filled with actual shit from New York City <laughs> in the year 2021.
0: What an awful way to go. Oh, my God. God.
2: Drowning in. Yeah. So, you know, you do know who Molly is. So she had glasses, which was pretty. And she wore our girl sweaters. So that was my girl. Okay, um, Samantha Parkington was a Victorian era rich girl with a lot of expensive clothes and like a wardrobe that she traveled with. So that's
1: she had the most beautiful sleigh bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. mm.
2: silk <laughs> pajamas. like it's very yeah. Brian.
1: The latest clothes wants to speak with a manager. I get it. <laughs> I don't want to speak to a manager. I want to speak to somebody in the head office. yeah
2: <laughs> she wants to go. He wants to go to corporate. ASAP. I want to
1: speak to the board members,
2: please. That's where the real decisions get made. Mm -hmm. Should we stay on topic of Texas and guns and talk about the speech that Biden just did? Or uh, is there not much? Yeah, we just, uh,
0: before we started recording, we just watched President Biden address the nation to talk about gun reforms. I was curious because he mentioned it in the speech. I do wonder how many millennials and Gen Z voters even know that there used to be an assault weapons ban that the Republicans let lapse in 2004. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know that. And I think that there are a lot of pissed off Gen Z people that are sick of, of having their friends and family getting killed that didn't even know that there was a history behind.
2: Yeah, that. Yeah. Like this is something that's actually possible. Like it happened, but it right. can also go away.
0: And I think that the Democrats have done an awful job of reminding people that. And so do I have Any confidence that uh, a, a big televised speech will cause any change in how Congress legislates, I have zero confidence in that. But I do think that the Democrats should be able to stiffen up here and say, we should use this as a wedge issue.
2: Yeah. Well, and do you guys think that things are really changing in terms of public sentiment, or are we all just online more, so we're seeing more of people's reactions, especially the younger generation?
1: Like, uh, this is shitty because I really hate when people are nihilist and, like, are just like,
2: there's no point in doing anything. Just let it happen.
1: But, like, after Sandy Hook and Obama cried on TV and those kids were, like, you know, between five and seven. And they were and there was, so like so
2: cute.
1: Uh, yeah. A dozen of them so, died.
2: No, it wasn't and a dozen.
1: It was 20.
2: Two dozen. Of
1: Twenty first graders. Oh, sorry. It was a baker's dozen of dead children. Yeah. Um. But there, Christine, why did you laugh? Now I'm laughing. dozen of 10
0: Keeping that in the show, keeping that in the show.
1: It's fine. What's the worst that could happen? I could lose my job. Um, <laughs> well, I think that there are a good percentage of
0: Americans that probably have that same type of, of outlook on all this, which is, f- like, if that's not going to cause any change, then what's the point, you know? And so you're as as things stand, I think that Brian's absolutely right. You're not going to get any change because there are two major contributors that keep Republicans in power. One is the oil industry and the oil industry lobby and the other is the gun industry and the NRA. They're the ones that provide funding for all of that and campaigns and so You're not going to win over people on a big, fancy stump speech. You're going to win them over by creating a wedge issue saying this is what the Republicans believe in, what they are resisting, any type of change. I think that Biden did a good job in the speech saying that currently right now the Senate is blocking even a debate on any type of gun reform. You should hammer that home and scream it from the mountains.
2: Right, because they don't want to be on TV saying no to gun control.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so they should absolutely capitalize on that. And I think the Democrats have done a terrible job in the 21st century of that.
1: And I like almost feel that the only reason why this one broke through in such a way and why we're having this conversation almost two weeks after the shooting is because the body count is so high. And I think that... Without sensationalizing it, I think a lot of people have been very frank about the reality of what the situation was like. And there's a reporter who kind of went rogue and released, like, a TikTok that went viral last week where they talk about, you know, we don't talk about the bodies. We don't talk about the fact that they have to be closed casket services and why that is. And it's because when you get shot with an assault rifle, the exit wound is the size of an orange and that kind of stuff like I there were people who I don't think really have an opinion on guns and uh, gun rights in my life who saw that and were like i never thought about that I can't believe like you know how horrific the the facts really are so I do think that there is a little bit of a, a sentiment turning but the cynical side of me also wants to point out that there were five mass shootings over the holiday weekend and I can't name anything about them. I don't know where they happened. I don't know how many people died. But, like, it's it's truly an epidemic in every sense of the word. Like, I, it's crazy to think about.
2: Guns, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, two years ago, guns became the number one cause of death for children in the United States.
1: More children have died of gun violence than police officers in the line of duty in 2022 so far. Mm -hmm. Biden brought that up in the speech. I would like to
0: give a little bit of history in this. And I think that with me profiling a civil rights era pick kind of ties us together. But if you would like some precedent on any type of societal change using uh, let's be frank here shock value back in the civil rights era there was a 14 year old kid that was lynched named Emmett Till yeah and back then that was something that you didn't necessarily uh, talk about you just said that it was you know racial violence and that was it and Emmett Till's mother very bravely said no open casket yeah And that made world news. Uh, I'm not going to encourage anyone to look at the photos, but it's absolutely terrifying to see that. And those images went around the world and really capital or really put a spotlight on racist terrorism. And I mean, it's awful, but that may be... I know what you're
2: saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. to, To do something like that.
2: Yeah. It's. I mean, the thing is, I, like, if you let guns be an idea and like a, a principle instead of the reality of what they are, which is killing machines, and something like an assault rifle is literally serves one purpose, which is killing a ton of people really quickly without a lot of like marksmanship skill. Like, you don't have to be a good marksman, marksman. Mm-hmm. to to kill people with with assault rifles because they. Sp-
1: Christine, it's Pride Month. Marks person. <laughs>
2: Oh, my God. I am so sorry.
1: Wow. Keeping it in the show. Although,
2: I will say, as long as we're talking about gender issues, who does all the shooting, guys? Guys.
1: Guys. Uh, white men.
2: Mm-hmm. I think we should shut, shut white men down until we figure out what's going on.
1: Right? Yeah, Like definitely Like round them up.
2: <laughs> so, speaking of white people, and in the interest of ending on a slightly... More fun note in our intro.
1: Let's get into the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, baby. Oh, are we doing this? No. No. But I, <laughs> Christine said a high note and I just know that that has been torture.
2: I don't want to torture. Talk about it. Yeah,
1: it. It's been torture.
2: Uh,
1: I have found out more about the people I love in my life over this Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial than I did during the 2016 presidential election. It's been illuminating. That's... All I'm going to say.
2: Um, Thoughts and prayers for all of them. But uh, as we're recording, we are on the the twilight of day one of a four-day celebration for Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee. So that's all very charming. But then the breaking news, which I read shortly before Biden's speech was going on, is that the Queen who's 96, I believe, and, like, her health has been admitted. Like, she's been pretty low profile the last several months, and I was assuming it was, like, she was kind of resting up in order to be able to to do the Jubilee weekend. Um, She is actually not going to be appearing tomorrow. And I think the only thing she really had to do was, like, go to a church service because they're doing, like, a Thanksgiving mass at Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey. (laughs) So the idea that like she can't handle going to church tomorrow is definitely a concern. And so it, to me, it gives me this sense that like we're not just celebrating the fact that she's reached 70 years as monarch, which is literally record break. Like there's no one else who's been the monarch for that long. But like, let's celebrate her while she's still here to see it kind of thing, which is makes it a bit bittersweet. Anyway, I I love the outfits. So uh, Princess Anne, who, again, for those who aren't obsessed with the royal family, is Prince Charles' sister. Um, She's actually his younger sister, so she's the second child of uh, the queen. She, like, rejects a lot of the trappings of, like, being a princess. And one of the ways that she did that, does that, I think, is she dresses up in, like, the military gear And rides on a horse like during the Trooping the Color instead of wearing like a fascinator and sitting in a carriage. And so during the Trooping the Color, like during the actual military part, which the Queen didn't participate in, it was like Prince Charles in front and then William and then Anne in her like fabulous military gear on a horse. And it was just, we loved to see it.
1: She's a princess in that late era Disney way. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear pants. Yeah, like, I don't need right.
2: a man. I mean, she has a man, but, like...
1: Fight my own villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: She, someone tried to kidnap her in the 1970s, and she just, like, refused to be kidnapped. She was like... She said no. Yeah, she's like, I'm not getting out of the car. <laughs> he had a gun in her face, and she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> so we, we stan on Anne on this podcast.
0: Gotta be honest, never heard of her before just now, so... Okay. She's Great cool. Bro, she's cool. Okay. I'm on board. Yeah. I'm on Go board. She's, she's the cool princess. Yeah, she
2: is the cool She really is. Okay. Uh, it's garbage. <laughs> okay, well, the podcast is going to be disbanding after this episode because Brian is so disgusted that Clay doesn't know who Princess Anne is.
0: That I don't know the entire family tree of the royal Would you think they family? meet her up for the crown? <laughs>
2: <laughs> because Prince Philip needed a favorite kid, and it certainly wasn't going to be Charles. Anyway, I think that's all I've got, Brian. Am I correct that you maybe have an apology that you'd like to make.
1: In an ironic twist, I, unlike Queen Elizabeth, (laughs) am going to apologize to the entire nation of Ireland (laughs) and also the Kennedy family, because last week when I was wrapping up my segment, I misspoke and called john f kennedy by the wrong middle name and no one caught it except me and my sister who overheard me and then when i signed off the computer was like did you say that his his middle name was fitzpatrick and i was like i maybe but i like i looked at my notes and i did see that i did do that so um i'm so sorry to the kennedy shrivers and i'm so sorry to the people of the republic of ireland my heart is with you during this difficult time
0: I have a policy of bleeping out the F word when we say that on the show. And maybe it should also be Fitzpatrick. Maybe that should also <laughs> yes, be yes. That, that that's my.
2: That <laughs> We're not allowed to, to, say, to that say Fitzpatrick on the show yes. anymore. Agreed.
1: Okay. We will be back with a recipient profile on Walter Lipman.
2: Some, some real things to talk about.
0: So I have an image of Lyndon Johnson when I think of him, mostly because none of us were alive when he was in office. But I look at him as almost like Nick Nolte getting out of bed with a hangover, just kind of just showing up and just being like, ah,
2: what just the, the hell? Just grumpiest. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Not very... Uh, schooled or learned just just a grumpy texan who you know doesn't have time for this shit but when you do look at his presidential medal of of freedom choices you see a very interesting person here he uh, also had a very side a and side b presidency side a being ratifying the civil rights act and side b unfortunately being the Vietnam War. And it is very interesting to look at the picks by year, 64, 65, 66, 67. 64 and 65 are almost exclusively philosophers and civil rights leaders. And I can't see any other president who went that intellectual with their choices. A lot of commentators, a lot of economists, a lot of people who... Again, were very intellectual and had some real thoughts about 20th century uh, American democracy. Mm -hmm. Side B is mostly people that all uh, supported the Vietnam War and he wanted to kind of pay them off through that sense. So uh, it is a very white and black side to uh, how uh, he made his picks throughout history. And today's recipient was awarded the medal in 1964. And I would almost call him a media philosopher, if you can make sense with that. I am Hmm. talking about Walter Lippmann.
2: Real household name.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But a very interesting person. He has real thoughts about the nature of information and the ability for the American voter to make intellectual and learned decisions. And I have to say he isn't necessarily left wing or right wing. I think that he has some very interesting ideas, but I guarantee you, you're not going to agree with everything that he has to say. Just to kind of start this off he coined the phrase stereotype he was the one that invented that talking about how the american public doesn't necessarily look at information before they do make their mm. decision on who they vote for they what? look at it as their previous history i know this it's, guy this is all it's it's very interesting in his beliefs here and in uh, it's almost been a hundred years since he came up with his philosophy on information sharing in a modern democracy. Uh, his book public opinion turns 100 years old this year. And yeah, let's, let's get into it because you will definitely see some parallels of 21st century America with his idea of 20th century America. So Walter Littman was born on the Upper East Side in New York City on September 23rd, 1889. Basically, he uh, grew up in a wealthy Jewish family and uh, was a Reform uh, Jew, so didn't necessarily observe his faith. Mostly a, a very agnostic upbringing and uh, kind of went with, with you know, whatever school and whatever social construct that, that he was in. Uh, went to school at Harvard, did all that fun stuff. Very much blue blood American, uh, despite there being a lot of prejudice against Jewish Americans at the time. Actually became a member of the New York Socialist Party, along with the author Sinclair Lewis. And uh, yeah, really had some some interesting ideas about all of this. Again, he uh, you can't figure this guy out. You either think that he's left wing or right wing, but uh, he has started off as a journalist and. Uh, uh, did a lot of columnist work and things like that. Uh, like most people, he served in the Army during World War I as an intelligence officer and did all of that. After that, he worked his way up to actually working in the Woodrow Wilson administration, putting together the 14-point speech, which is basically how they brought peace together uh and how to kind of figure out the world in a post-world war one era Uh, the fact that we're calling it world war one shows that it wasn't entirely
1: successful (laughs) or maybe it was so successful they wanted a sequel (laughs) 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 bigger budget
2: world war two electric boogaloo
1: i think world war three though is going to be like the godfather part three (laughs) <laughs>
2: like not the best of the
1: trilogy, right? Yeah. Somehow Sofia
0: Coppola has she to like step ruins in, it. and like yeah. she, tr- well, yeah, but she's trying her hardest. She's doing a favor for her father. So, oh my God, is Ivanka Trump the uh, Sofia Coppola of World War Three? Oh no! Oh
2: my God, we just spoke it into existence. Oh Jesus! Oh God! Oh, Delete, Clay. Delete is, it. This is terrible.
0: <laughs> Keeping it in the show.
2: That's so. Uh,
0: Let's get into his philosophy of the media, and what he says essentially is that actual facts don't matter in terms of reporting, because what journalists do is they are supposed to capture what is important at the moment and what's happening when they are reporting – And therefore, by their very existence of talking about certain issues and leaving others out, they are bringing in their biases of of things that are important and what's not. This in itself, he says, completely uh, disqualifies journalism in terms of an actual, accurate information-sharing system. And this is where he gets a little uh, controversial in the way that he thinks. And you see a lot of... uh, Parallels between his beliefs and what you are seeing in a post-2016 America, which is that he is of the belief that there should be a group of intellectuals, or, let's say the word, elites, that should be the ones to actually gather the information and make the decisions on behalf of the American public. So... Lipman had a lot of very interesting ideas about the power of elites and the ability for American voters to make rational decisions and had a series (laughs) of debates with the philosopher John Dewey. And again, good and bad sides to this argument. Lippmann thought that there should be a group, almost a, I don't know, board of intellectuals who should be the ones to make major decisions in American society because – In his belief, he thinks that that would be the best way to actually make rational decisions by having qualified people actually do the research and make decisions in that way. John Dewey, on the other hand, thought that it should purely be a democratic exercise and that there shouldn't necessarily be any type of safeguards about how American voters vote. But on the other hand, he admitted two things. One, that that would absolutely bring about the tendency to have demagogues step in and take over the public debate. Two, it would make it completely susceptible to misinformation and fake news. The fact that they were talking about all of this a hundred years earlier is kind of impressive to see how all of that works. Absolutely, you could see a negative side to both of these things. Obviously, a lot of... The significance of the 2016 election is that we went from a Walter Lippman-style society, where there absolutely was a group of elites, uh, oftentimes, you know, with a finance background, onto the John Dewey style of completely uh, not trusting anyone that is an intellectual and thinking that no matter what, no matter the amount of misinformation and the amount of demagogues that come about, that the American voters should be the one to make all decisions. So, Yeah. Again, there's not a a clear-cut argument here for either side, and uh, I think that that is uh, something that you don't necessarily see a lot of in uh, today's public debate is that type of uh, fuzziness on both sides and the ability to actually think about what would be the right way that we should do this. I think that we've been almost violent in a way that we've gone back and forth between the two sides in the 21st century, so... It is interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, and yeah. it's also like, there's no, I feel like the conversations we're having now are so news cycle It's just like, what's the thing that people are fired up about right now? No one's mm. having like big picture conversations about like, what's the best way to actually run the country? It's just like.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, how should information be presented in a actual coherent way, as opposed to I think that the Walter Lippmann would be spinning in his grave if he knew the concept of 24 hour news where it's just like whatever the loudest thing is at the moment we have to talk about no matter what. Mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, waiting three goddamn weeks before you actually make an opinion, it all has to be at the spot and like out in the open and, and all of that. So you see a lot of parallels to what he was warning American society would become. Something else that he talked about, which uh, you will see in the timing of his 1964 Medal of Freedom, is that he uh, really advised Western culture to not use violence to decide on uh, your political philosophy. And he was talking specifically about Vietnam and how America forcibly tried to keep the uh, Viet Cong away. As opposed to what he said is that there should be an actual propaganda machine that will convince those people that democracy is the right way to go.
2: Like that's a form of warfare. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he absolutely uh, he used the word propaganda in a uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
2: Like almost like a neutral way.
0: Yes, he used propaganda in almost a neutral way in that he said that it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, that propaganda can be a good thing and that you should be very good at propaganda because that's the way that you're going to truly change people's beliefs as opposed to uh, spraying them with napalm and lighting a match. And uh, as you can guess, after the side A of the Johnson presidency where he awarded a lot of philosophers and civil rights leaders the medal – he and Lippmann had a major falling out because Lippmann said, you know, you're an idiot for doing what you're doing because this is all completely worthless. This will be a failed military exercise. And it turned out that Lippmann was correct. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. How'd that turn out for Johnson and his legacy? So uh, we can do this both
0: ways. I can either go through his three tenets of public perception between information and democracy Mm -hmm. we could either do it as a supplemental showdown or i could just say the portion of it should we try it as a supplemental showdown and and see how it goes all right cool all
2: right so here we go with the tenets of the Lippmann philosophy public opinion is volatile shifting erratically in response to the most recent developments or manipulation. Mass beliefs early in the 20th century were too pacifist in peace or too bellicose in war, too neutralist or appeasing in negotiations or too intransigent.
1: Public opinion is incoherent, lacking an organized or consistent structure to such an extent that the views of U.S. citizens could best be described as (laughs) non-attitudes.
2: Public opinion... Is that That's going to mark against me, isn't
0: it? Look, to use a golf term, because I was just a golf tournament, I'm mulligan? giving you a mulligan, so it never happened.
2: Public opinion is irrelevant to the policymaking process. Public
1: leaders ignore public opinion because most Americans can neither understand nor influence the very events upon which their lives and happiness are known to depend.
2: Okay, this is brutal, but like kind of <laughs> true. Like maybe he yeah, that- I mean
1: he he spilled the tea, sis.
2: <laughs> he was roasting the shit out of us, and we loved it.
1: <laughs> A hundred years earlier. we couldn't get
2: yeah. enough. I know. So Christine, yours was good, but I
0: felt like Brian's. He was definitely like an elitist lecturing people
1: below him.
2: <laughs> mm. Brian
1: Tuft wins the supplemental showdown. Well, done, thank Brian. you so much. I, I was going for Bernie Sanders.
2: Oh, yeah, you did do Bernie. All right. I was just doing New York guy. All right. Yeah. When yeah. we were like trying to figure
1: out what the vibe was going to be, when like we were talking about like um, kind of like New York people, and you were like, I'm going to do a, an accent. I know that this is probably not the vibe that I should have gone with, but I was going to go like kind of neurotic, like Woody Allen. But then you were like, no, it has to be bombastic. And I was like, I guess I'm going Bernie Sanders on this one. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Oh, boy. Just
1: two beloved white-haired men from the Northeast.
2: <laughs> beloved by whom is the question? Yes.
1: Why? Did something happen to Bernie?
0: <laughs> he had a big falling out with Amber Heard as well. I don't know if you knew <laughs> that they were together before Johnny
1: Depp. Oh, I, do. I remember. Yeah, Stand we on. all do.
0: We all remember. That's why She's he was sitting like going to be first lady. That. Yeah, he was by <laughs> himself in that chair.
2: With the mittens. So...
0: <laughs> Wait, so Lipman. what was
2: his like late career? Did he just kind of...
0: He was always a writer and uh, mm-hmm. had a, a column in the Washington Post talking a lot about Vietnam and, and was absolutely a philosopher in every sense of the word. And I do wonder if that's something that American society is missing now is instead of a partisan writer, just someone who actually... You know, could see uh, I'm not saying both sides because I think that's a bullshit phrase. But to actually have tenets of philosophy of how things are, I don't agree with everything the Lipman believes, but I also don't disagree with a lot of what he's saying here.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, he died in 1974. So, yeah. He, yeah.
0: Uh, so 10 years after he got the medal. That's right.
2: Um. Oh, my God. He got a divorce in 1937. How cutting edge.
1: Yeah, had a little uh, little affair with mm-hmm. a friend's that's, wife. That's back when divorce was glamorous.
2: Right. <laughs> right. like it was only for the elites.
0: Yes. That's well, you I'm going to post the photo of this guy here. I think that, you know, if, if you walk into an office and that guy's looking like that with the pinstripe I mean, three-piece suit, who among on. us I'm only human. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think who this would be now. We don't have... I feel like we don't have people like this anymore. hmm Like who... Oh, what was his name? Christopher Hitchens, maybe? Yeah, I could see that. So he's a British... I mean, he passed away like 10 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like he was like an intellectual academic and a writer and a journalist. And he kind of... Uh, I just looked it up. He passed away in 2011, so... Twitter certainly existed, but like the current iteration of journalism like was kind of after his time. Mhm. But Yeah, it's it's tough to think of anyone <laughs> we have in journalism today who's who feels this kind of niche
0: or even just a public figure who isn't afraid to necessarily give a unpopular opinion.
2: Or not, like, earnestly versus just trying to get attention,
1: you know? Um, I There's no one who I can think of as a parallel to him, but I do have to say this profile, while fascinating, is depressing to see that these things that are kind of dominating the discourse have been around for 100 years. And also mm-hmm. to find out that just another, uh, like, you know, core... Ingredient in the Trump playbook from 2016 was not his own, but was actually just something that, like you know, he saw on the History Channel, like all those mm-hmm. uh, videos of Reagan saying "Make America Great Again" in '80 80 and '84. And he does. He was born in 1889,
0: and I do think that he came about at the perfect time for these type of beliefs because. America in that pre-Civil War era was a very simple agricultural-based society where there were some very black and white issues that you believed in. Yeah, and it, the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and in an industrial age, he said there's no way that the common American voter would be able to have the grasp of all the information that you need to actually make a salient choice. Exactly.
2: Yeah, that's the old argument. Um Right because like literacy and mass communication just were not were not there. Exactly,
0: yeah. And I think that he's someone who absolutely knew that there would be some blowback to his opinions and he essentially is the quintessential capital E elite here. I think that if you look at this profile here that the average uh, hard right voter would look at him and say, "Yes, this is the enemy here."
2: Does this kind of remind you guys of the the fact that George Washington was like, I think political parties would be a bad idea because it would be counterproductive to progress and just like create a lot of infighting? And you're like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what they did. Good job, George. You you called that one.
0: But Lippman's beliefs are almost beyond partisan political parties here. Yeah, no,
2: yeah, it's more like foundational
0: like what would qualify as a democracy here it's it's very interesting stuff and i encourage everyone to to look into all of his writings here so yeah
2: okay Mr. well great Lipman.
0: i'm glad you guys got to sit through my philosophy for dummies course that i just gave
2: i feel smarter
0: yes when we come back christine with the medals of the week
2: Hey guys, that brings us to our medals of the week where we shout out a person, organization, concept, you know, plane of existence, anything that, um, any noun that we feel has, has earned a medal this week. And so I think we'll start with Brian. Oh, I'm
1: honored. Thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. You won the showdown. You get first pick for the medals. It's Mm. Brian's week, everybody.
1: Well, it is Pride Month, everybody.
2: (laughs) We're just living in it.
1: So this week, this past weekend, was Memorial Day. And it was a day for us to honour fallen military service members and the sacrifices that they and their family made. And while I took that time and did that reflection, um, an event unfolded this week that involved the Army. And it really inspired me. And I'm not talking about the U.S. Army. I'm talking about the BTS Army and their military action that they took following some very upsetting events. This week, Joe Biden invited Korean pop sensations and international icons BTS to the White House to talk uh-huh. about Asian height crimes and violence and... To kind of put put a button on uh, Biden and his, his his administration's efforts to really highlight Asian culture during Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and in such he figured that the biggest get he could get was BTS, and he pulled it off. And they showed up and they did a press briefing where they all spoke and took questions from reporters. They wore amazing suits. I <laughs> did see that. Yeah, uh, they made Biden look like. Shit! Like they were all wearing (laughs) the same black suit and he, they showed up and, but not like them, like copying the Beatles. Like it was very modern looking. Each one of them had a different, a different take. Like the suit is exactly the same on each of them. Somehow they all look totally different. So as it is required, Fox news took umbrage with BTS going to the white house and Tucker Carlson decided to make some comments And he said, Joe Biden's situation has deteriorated dramatically, both publicly and internally. What are they planning to do about it? Well, they broke the glass in case of an emergency and invited a Korean pop group to speak at the White House today. Yeah, so we got a Korean pop group to talk about anti-Asian hate crimes in the U.S. Okay, well done, guys. Now, obviously, Tucker was not very respectful. At no point does he actually mention the band by name. And... BTS ARMY was not having it. And they have launched a full-fledged attack on Tucker Carlson and Fox News to the point where yesterday, uh, which was June 1st, for about 12 hours, Fox News had to suspend all comments on all social media posts because they couldn't figure out how to stop the BTS fans from spamming their content. Now, there are several people that are unable to stop Fox News. But if anyone is going to be able to take them down... I have a feeling it is going to be BTS Army. And you want to know something? I think that that's Dynamite. And that's a reference to their number one smash song, Dynamite. Stream on iTunes.
2: <laughs> None of this <laughs> went where I thought it was going to go. That was such a wild ride.
1: Well, this, this, was my only, this was the only segment I got to do, so I really wanted to make sure that it was crazy.
2: I love it. <laughs> Honestly, and I now that you've told me this, I support. I want to enlist in the in the BTS army. No, I don't. I I couldn't name a single
1: (laughs) member of the group. Oh, I made sure not to try to name them. I don't know. Is it like Like, Minuto
2: where they like cycle through as they get? They were
1: supposed to because every. Um, military service, right? Every person in 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 South Korea has to serve in the military, and there were people who were hoping that when BTS went in, that they're around the same age that they would get to meet BTS while serving in the military, and the Korean government gave them a special dispensation and they don't have to serve because they feel that they are They've serving so their much. nation yes. um, by continuing to make pop music and bring joy to millions of people.
2: I, love I remember
0: there was an insane statistic. When the Beatles were in their heyday, where their records contributed to like 120th of Great Britain's economy, just like the actual (laughs) exports and licensing and things like that. I wonder if BTS would be
2: devalued.
0: Yeah. I wonder if BTS actually has a quantifiable percentage of the South Korean economy from all their shows and and all that.
2: Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. All right, I guess I'll I'll go next. Brian <laughs> did mention that it's Pride month, and so Linda Carter, who was the original Wonder Woman on the television show, posted a cute little rainbow graphic of like a cartoon Wonder Woman saying happy pride to all of her friends and fans. And then, of course, there were some negative responses because it's America in 2022. And someone said Wonder Woman is not a superhero for gays, and she said, "You're right." She's a superhero for bisexuals. And then she followed it up with its own post where she said, I didn't write Wonder Woman, but if you want to argue she's somehow not a queer or trans icon, then you're not paying attention. Every time someone comes up to me and says that Wonder Woman helped them while they were closeted, it reminds me how special the role is. So not only is it just cute, like I love hearing from like a member of pop culture who's like relatively silent, you know, like just doing their thing, and and they put themselves in the conversation, but also just her like steadfastness fastness and her willingness to call people out and be like not only are you just like factually wrong but like this means a lot to me and it's meant a lot to like people that that this role has like has reached and so like go f*** yourselves i'm like i don't know i just i thought it was great and i thought Linda Carter deserved a little a little medal of the week for this
1: as the podcast's token gay person, I can tell you, I was obsessed with Wonder Woman when I was a child. She just like she had like a rich interior life. She was you know she was trying to find Steve. She had a like you know balance her career and be Wonder Woman. It was just we're so talking seventies TV
0: show or cartoon. Uh,
1: like the seventies TV show uh, was definitely part of my introduction to her, but like. In New York, you, if you went to, like, dollar and discount stores here, they would sell you, like, old comic books from, like, the 80s and the early 90s. And oh, whenever cool. I would get, like, a Wonder Woman one, I was always like, oh, my God. So, yeah, like, I know when the Gal Gadot movie came out, it was like, this is a superhero for women. And I was like, actually, no, it's a, it's, it's a superhero for gay people. Um, lesbians who love Linda Carter's show and little gay boys who were like, you know, I just don't relate to Batman. <laughs> That color scheme—it's just not working for me. I need the gold and the you know, the accessories that are weapons. Yeah, black on black—I just I can't do anything with that. I can't.
0: All right, Christina's gesturing wildly and hasn't realized that she's still on mute. So I'll go ahead and go forward with mine. And I'm, all right, now she's yes. now she's she's there. humiliated. She's <laughs> Clay, back. could you
2: please give us your medal the week? <laughs>
0: Mine's short and simple, mostly because I couldn't think of anyone who really uh, touched me, but rest in peace to the actor Ray Liotta, Mm, mostly because mm -hmm. I thought that he was someone who was never really recognized with the award contender, but he had a very haunting performance in Goodfellas, Mm -hmm. and if nothing else... Rewatch Goodfellas, guys. Rewatch that. He's very good as Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams. And as of last year, he was one of the only bright spots in the film Many Saints of Newark. So really good (laughs) character actor, and he will be missed. Rest in peace, Ray Liotta.
2: Well, also, I have to say, he apparently was also an advocate for animals because the animal rescue I got my dog from posted about him. Cause one time he like came to their shelter and he was like, you know, adopt, don't shop. So also just a good, good dude. Cool. Yeah. And he was like 60 or something. Like he was way too young. He was way right. too
1: young. Yeah.
0: And Brian and I spoke earlier about now that everyone was talking about Top Gun about how Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards were a hot couple Goodfellas, Young Lorraine Bracco, Young Ray Liotta,
2: right? Whew. They could get it. Woo! Take me to bed or lose me forever.
1: <laughs> that's from Goodfellas, right? That's where that quote. Yeah, gone?
2: that's Lorraine yeah. Bracco. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I do have to share the day after Donald Trump won election in 2016. Ray mm-hmm. Liotta came into my job, and he was like super, super chaotic. And I got to ring him up, and we were talking. Oh, my God, like, end of Goodfellas <laughs> chaotic? Like, yeah, like, like a lot of, like, jerky motions. And he came over to me, and I, I was ringing him up, and we were just kind of chatting, and I was talking to him about the product, and I was like, don't be one of those people who's like, oh, my God, you're Ray Liotta. And he, we, there was, like, a moment where I was quiet, and he, like, turned to me, and he was like, can you believe what's happening? And I was like... Uh, do you mean the election? Because, no, I can't. And, like, the everyone has a story about the election. But, like, I had to conduct a meeting with my team. And, like, multiple people had cried. There were people that I couldn't bring back out. I had to send people home. So, like, I knew what Ray was really talking about. And he goes... I'm so fing high. I I I there's no way that I can deal with, with what's going on. I I can't. And as soon as he said it, I was like, Oh, he smells like really expensive marijuana. And it was just like the best experience. He was the nicest man. My only him. regret is that the woman who was at the register next to me was named Karen, which is Lorraine Bracco's name in Goodfellas. And I just so wish that I got to hear him say, Hi Karen, in <laughs> no in it's, real life. Karen, why did you throw it away? That was all of our fucking money. Um, But yeah, we, uh, that was, like, I mean, obviously my first thought was, I can't believe he didn't get a Best Actor nomination for Goodfellas. He was so fantastic. But my second thought was, I'll never forget November 9th, 2016 with Ray made your day
2: a little little brighter. Yeah. You know,
0: I thought that I would just have a throwaway pick this week, and you guys (laughs) ran with that, and Brian just threw in an incredible (laughs) story.
2: You know what? That's called
0: teamwork. Yes, it is.
2: Well, if unless anyone else has any Ray Liotta stories, I think we've, I think we did it, guys.
0: Yeah, let's wrap it up. A little behind the scenes for all our listeners. My uh, flight was delayed so bad that I got home at four thirty in the
1: morning. So it's time to go to sleep for me. <laughs> Great this is a visual clay. medium, but I will tell you, Clay looks like shit. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
2: All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>